Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. Our guest today is one of only 17 artists to achieve EGOT status. Today, we'll be talking about his new skincare brand, Loved One. We'd like to welcome to the podcast, John Legend. John, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Liz. I'm excited to be here. So, John, in the same week you debuted Loved One, you also announced another loved one joining your family. Congratulations on the new baby. Thank you. We're very excited to have Esty uh, joining our family. Mommy's doing great. The kids are doing so well. They're so, like, excited to be big brother and big sister. And uh, everybody's just full of love and excitement in the house. It's really cool, actually. How's life with three kids compared to two? Well, the older ones are, are, you know, they're starting to mature quite a bit. You know, Luna will be seven in April and Miles will be five in May. And, you know, they still require a lot of our love and attention, but they're a little bit easier to parent now. You know, they can go off and play on their own. They can read and do do what they want to do. And so it allows us to give the kind of attention we need to give to an infant. Um, But also they're like so into being, you know, really loving and affectionate with Esty. So it's fun to watch them um, embrace the role of being a big sibling. And does the name Esty have special significance? It was just a name that came to Chrissy. We were actually uh, at Villa d'Este in um, Italy where um, we got married right there at Lake Como and uh, we stayed at that hotel, but we got married down the street and uh, we've been there many times. And so she looked at that Este in, in the name and started playing with it in her mind. And uh, Este came from that. And then my uh, great grandmother actually happens to be named Esther. She's passed a while ago, but uh, her name was Esther. So in some cultures, Este is short for Esther. A lot of Jewish um Girls named Esther uh, go by Esty, for instance. And then my maternal, excuse me, my paternal grandmother is uh, middle named Maxine. And uh, anybody who knows my music from a while ago, uh, my second album, I had a song called Maxine and a song called Maxine's Interlude. And my grandmother's middle name is Maxine. So we thought it'd be cute to name her middle name uh, Maxine as well. Well, we're so glad you're able to join us with all the excitement going on right now. Let's yeah. talk about the new brand. We can start at the beginning. How did you first decide to get into the skincare business? Well, I had been working in the skincare business for quite a while, doing collaborations with uh, Kiehl's, doing them with SK2. Um, I'd invested in other businesses uh, like Bevel and I've always been interested and thought it might be interesting to do my own skincare line, but I I wanted it to have a reason to exist. And so we had been approached by multiple partners over the years about doing uh, a skincare brand as a joint venture and doing it as a new business. But I didn't want to just do one just because I was another celebrity with good skin. I wanted it to have another reason to exist. And um a-Frame, who's our parent company, they came to us with a mission to start celebrity-backed brands that allowed us to be really involved creatively, allowed us to um, take a real serious ownership stake in the brand, but also was targeted toward a market 
that hasn't really been targeted very heavily when it comes to developing and marketing skincare, which is um, those with melanin-rich skin. And we all have skin and, and we all have so much in common when it comes to our skin. Uh, but when it comes to melanin-rich skin, you know, brown and black skin, a lot of times there are some unique needs that aren't being necessarily met by what's currently available in the market. And uh, when it comes to research and development, um, there isn't a lot of attention being put on developing products that are formulated for melanin-rich skin. And so when I learned that from uh, A-Frame and we started talking about what we could try to do to um, to uh, fix that, to address that, um, we decided that it would be worthwhile for us to come up with our own skincare brand. And we wanted to make it so that not only was it effective and formulated for melanin-rich skin, but priced at a price that everyone could afford and accessible in a way that a lot of brands aren't. Uh, we wanted it to be available at your local drugstore, available at your local Walmart. So we're launching in CVS. Uh, we're going to be in Walmart not long after our launch. And uh, we want to make sure not only are we creating products that are formulated for melanin-rich skin that are effective at what we uh, promise to do with them, but also that people can afford and, and find at their local stores. How long was the development process? Well, it's been over a year of us working together and, and A-Frame existed before that and they had already launched a brand called Kinlo um, uh, with Naomi Osaka, and they, uh, which is about sun protection. Uh, they launched a, a, a brand that's more targeted toward young kids called Proudly with uh, Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. But this brand um, was their next uh, venture, which was creating a general unisex skincare brand that's targeted toward melanin-rich skin. And we embarked on this journey together. We collaborated on every major decision, whether it was naming the brand, uh, coming up with our bottle uh, designs, our logo, really working on the products themselves, testing them, uh, making sure we all uh, were proud of them and excited to launch them to the world, uh, working with our uh, dermatologist, Dr. Boache, um, who's really been our guide and really thinking about the unique needs of melanin-rich skin and what products we could uh, formulate to address those needs. And uh, it's been a really fun process creating this brand together. I, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, embarking on a music career as an entrepreneurial thing. Uh, I've uh, launched my own wine brand called LVE. And um, so I enjoy that process of creating something new with my team. Um, and uh, doing it in skincare has been so fun. And we're starting to see the results of our work out there in the world. Uh, they're already... Uh, end caps set up at local CVSs that some of my friends have been going to. And we've been seeing the product, we've been seeing the art and everything that we uh, created together, uh, seeing that out in public and in local stores has been really exciting. And what's the inspiration behind the brand name? Well, obviously I write a lot of love songs and, and I talk a lot about love. And my wine brand's called LVE, and I have the same creative team that's worked with me on everything that I do, whether it's Love in Las Vegas, my residency, or LVE, or 
all of my tours uh, over the past decade or so and my album covers over the past decade or so. And so my creative team knows me very well and they pitched a lot of names to me, but we settled on Loved One uh, because I like the way it looked. First of all, I like that Loved and then the O1. Um, and then um, I liked the sentiment that it expresses, which is the idea of one, caring for yourself, loving yourself, but also uh, the idea that skincare and the whole, you know, ritual that we have at the sink in front of the mirror in the bathroom is often something we share with our loved ones. Uh, it's something we share with our kids, our partners, whatever. And, you know, it's a part of the way we bond with our loved ones. And we felt like that name embodied that spirit of uh, sharing that ritual with somebody you care about. And you worked with a big team of experts on the brand. What areas did you get most involved with in the development process? Were you taking the products home and testing them on yourself? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely taking every product home. Everything's been sent to me. We've had multiple iterations. And then I try it in the shower, try it in the bathroom and uh, see how it feels, see how it uh, incorporates itself into my daily ritual. I wanted it to feel like really natural and and uh, intuitive um, and uh, and I wanted it to feel luxurious as well. Um, one of the things we pride ourselves on is that we've made this look and feel like a luxury brand, but done it at a price that's really accessible. And you're launching with six products to start the face and body wash, exfoliator, shave cream, toner, moisturizer, and face and body oil. Yeah. Did you want to share more details about how the products are focused on melanin-rich skin? Well, we're... We've been doing a lot of research on what uh, unique needs melanin rich skin has. Um, one of those is that we lose moisture more quickly. So uh, all of our first six products have a rose hip, rose hip oil and sea buckthorn oil that are focused on deeply moisturizing and hydrating your skin. We've also uh, learned that uh, hyperpigmentation is a bigger issue among uh, people with melanin rich skin. So we're going to have products that uh, focus on that in the in the near future. Uh, and so as we consult with Dr. Boache and look at some of the areas that are more unique to melanin-rich skin, we want to make sure we develop products with that in mind. So moisture as a big focus is, is our early uh, launch strategy. And then uh, focusing on some of those other issues like hyperpigmentation, uh, sun protection, et cetera, uh, will, will be uh, in the future. And what's been missing in the market for melanin-rich skincare? Well, a lot of it is just even being paid attention to when it comes to uh, research, uh, when it comes to even the science of dermatology. Uh, if you look in textbooks, you know, for our future dermatologists as they're in school, they're not even learning that much about what's different about darker skin tones and uh, how to recognize certain conditions that uh, uh, may exist in darker skin tones. Uh, there's not as much attention being paid to our skin uh, when it comes to even FDA approval, you're not even required to test on darker skin tones to say that your product is effective and safe. And so all of those issues, uh, I think, require attention and development and, and, and uh, specificity when it comes to formulating uh, products. And that was missing. Uh, and doing that in a way that is 
effective, but also accessible and affordable is the sweet spot for loved one. And what was the process like for choosing the price point and the retailers? We've seen a lot of celebrities launching expensive luxury brands these days. How did you decide on your price point? Well, first of all, we wanted this to be available to everyone. We wanted it to be something that everyone could afford. Everyone deserves to care for themselves deeply and, and to have products that are formulated with them in mind. And um, we felt like the only way we could do that is putting it at a price point that was really affordable for everyone and then making sure it was in places that uh, they were going to shop anyway. And so there are plenty of celebrity brands. A lot of them are priced in you know ways that only celebrities and their friends can afford them. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate luxury. Uh, I have lots of luxury products in my home, but I'm not the average consumer and I'm definitely not the average black and brown consumer. We still have a wealth gap and an income gap in America. And so when so much of our population um, is working class, middle class, why price it out of their range where uh, we're not actually, you know, serving the population that we claim to target and and, and and formulate our products for. So we wanted to say, not only are we formulating this for melanin rich skin, we're pricing it at a price point where everybody can afford it and making sure they can find it, that it's available to them. So we're going mass retail, you know, in your local pharmacy, in your local Walmart. Like that's where we want to be. And somebody was joking, you know, with, with my uh, creative director saying, you guys like you're like, this is too nice for a a CVS or a Walmart. And we're like, that's the whole point. Like we want people to feel like they can afford this luxury product. We want them to feel like, um, you know, they can uh, care for themselves in a way that is um, effective and beautiful. They can luxuriate in these wonderful skincare products that make them feel moisturized and, and fresh. Um, but without breaking the bank. Yeah, the branding is very upscale. What was your involvement in the process of looking at the design possibilities? Oh, I mean, that that's like the thing I love the most, probably of everything. <laughs> like I, because I, you know, it's really my job is to, in a lot of ways, other than writing music, um, the thing I do the most is working with my creative team on visual representations whether it's picking the right video director and getting the right video edit, whether it's picking the right photographer for the album cover or the the right uh, uh, logo for the album, all of these things, like this is what I do all the time. And so um, I loved being part of that process um, of really figuring out what we wanted to call it, first of all, and then how to present that publicly, what the visual should look like, how it should feel, um, what it should say about the brand when you when you look at it, when you touch it. Uh, we again, we wanted it to feel elevated. We wanted it to feel luxurious, um, but not cost a luxury price. And what about your own skincare routine? Are the products inspired by your own products or things you've used before coming up with the brand? Yes, but I also learned. Through this process, you know um, about what kinds of oils and and, and natural uh, 
um, elements out there are, are, are really good for my skin. And um, I've really enjoyed learning through the process of developing these products and then incorporating them into my own routine. Are there any specific examples of things you've learned about with skincare through this? Well, I never used a face and body oil and I absolutely love our face and body oil and I've started to use it every day. Like it really makes me feel better. Um, and I, I feel like it's great for my skin every day to, to have that additional moisture and hydration and the oil just feels good. It, it, it's, we don't scent it, but it has like a nice, uh, natural scent to it. And, um, it, it really feels nice. How has your skincare regimen changed over the years? Well, some of it I learned from just watching Chrissy. So, uh, you know, I think being, like I said before, I think there's a ritual that you share, you know, with someone that you've been with for a while, you share a bathroom with them. And, and you know, Chrissy and I have been together, whether dating, dating or uh, married for like 16 years now. So it's been quite a long time. And um, so, you know, we learn from each other all the time. She'll share different ideas with me. And I definitely think I take better care of my skin because I've learned from her uh, over the years. Yeah. What was the routine like before you met her? Oh, it's so simple. Just wash my face and moisturize. <laughs> and, and and now I'm a, a bit more detailed, more exfoliating at the right times. Uh, she's helped me like learn how to do extractions with the Biore strips and stuff like that. And and uh, um, just little things that I just details that I didn't really know about. Um, she's taught me. So the exfoliant in your line, is that a manual exfoliant or chemical? Where do you fall on that spectrum? So our uh, exfoliant is bamboo. Um, so it's natural and it's very gentle. It, it feels really good. It's actually Chrissy's favorite product um, of ours of the six. And it just feels like really natural and kind of silky um, while still having that exfoliant. And it's a it's the kind of exfoliant that doesn't make you feel like you're beating up your skin uh, and drying it out too much. And again, we always want to focus on maintaining moisture and hydration. And it still has our uh, rosehip oil and our sea buckthorn oil. And then the bamboo is the exfoliant. And you recently talked to Allure and told them that your dermatologist right now is Dr. Jason Diamond. When it comes to your skincare these days, how important is the day-to-day -day routine versus going into the office for treatments? I do a facial once a month and there, I feel like most importantly for like blackheads and extractions and things like that. Um, but I feel like the daily routine is, is cr cr crucial and, and it's important to do the things you do at home. But if you can afford to get a facial, you know, every month or two, uh, I think it's helpful. And with the new brand launch, are we going to see more skincare content on your own social media? I think you'll see it on mine, uh, but you'll also see a lot on our loved one uh, account. Uh, we have our own loved one uh, skin uh, account and uh, we'll post a lot there and then I'll post some of it. Uh, I'll be showing up at local CVSs occasionally and Walmarts and checking in, seeing how everything's going. Um, yeah, I'm really like fully behind this brand. And I put so much of my own personal energy and and uh, and creativity into it. And 
uh, I'm excited to watch it be out in the world now. You know, it's something we've been working on for quite a while. And to see it uh, out in the world, in the wild, <laughs> is very exciting. And uh, I'm really embracing that. And what about TikTok? Are you going to do any TikTok skincare tutorials? I'm sure we will. And we've uh, we've had some good uh, content we already created with various beauty influencers. And so some of that will be coming out soon. Uh, some really you know great um, content creators when it comes to beauty. Uh, we've already done some work with them. And so uh, that'll be rolling out soon. So yeah, we're going to get it out there. Do you follow any specific beauty influencers? Well, not a lot. Um, you know, some of my uh, good friends have their own brands like Jen Atkin, who has Way, and, and you know, there's a few of our friends that uh, have been really entrepreneurial when it comes to this stuff. And so that's exciting. And uh, um, I learned to watch a lot from just watching Jen do all the amazing work she's done with Way. Um, but yeah. Um, I'm excited to share what we've created and and uh, we've been really talking with all the beauty influencers, sharing what we're doing. And there seems to be a lot of uh, excitement for what we've created. So you also decided to make the brand gender neutral. How did you decide on that versus a men's only line? Well, we all have skin, you know. Uh, there's really nothing uh, that we created that needed to be just a only men or only women product. And uh, we all need to take care of our skin. We all need to have that ritual of, of self-care. And uh, I felt like, um, why limit our audience? Let's, let's just, you know, everybody has skin and uh, we're formulating it for melanin rich skin, but it, it, it's uh, useful and effective for everybody. So um Let's let's not limit, you know, the audience. And there's a shaving cream in the line. Do you expect more men to be buying it? We'll see. Um, you know, women shave all the time too, and um, it's really a great shaving cream. It feels really good. Um, it's again uh, maintaining moisture and hydration and, and and comfort when it comes to shaving. Um, that's important for everybody, whether you're shaving your legs. Uh, or your face. And you've also talked a lot in previous interviews about pressures on looks in the entertainment industry mm -hmm. and being married to a model. What kind of differences have you seen in these pressures on men versus women in the industry? Oh, surely it's, there's more pressure on women. There's no question about that. And there's more criticism, you know, is this more nitpicking when it comes to women, whether you're, too big, too small, like every little thing. Uh, why are you wearing makeup? Why are you doing this kind of work? Why are you doing this? Everything's being picked apart, I think, when it comes to women. And, um, you know, I've seen it firsthand and it can be uh, awfully tough for any woman in the public eye, uh, just dealing with that amount of scrutiny and, and you know, opinions every every in every direction. Um, so. Me seeing that, you know, I try to be as empathetic as I can be with my wife, but also just watching other celebrities have to deal with it. You know, it's just quite a thing. Um, and honestly, it's not nearly as bad for men. Like we're not scrutinized in that way. 
um, in that level of, you know, intensity. And uh, so I try to be as empathetic as possible. Has anything changed for men in the entertainment industry with pressure on looks over the decades? Well, I think it's good. It's a good thing that all of us, uh, I think, are, feel okay with with telling people we take care of our skin and and we have a, our own skincare routine and our own beauty routine. And I think maybe 10, 20 years ago, you might not have seen a lot of men uh, talking about that publicly. But I think it's great that, you know, it's okay that we talk about those things and we share those things now. And uh, like I said before, everybody has skin and everybody deserves to care for themselves deeply and, and have products that are, are made uh, with them in mind. Um, and so uh, I think men, women, non-binary, everybody um, should feel comfortable, you know, taking care of themselves. And what about outside the entertainment industry? What about men in general? Are they taking better care of their skin these days? Uh, I did another interview, I think, with Essence, and we we talked about the soft life. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think more men are comfortable, like saying, you know what, I I should take care of myself. I deserve to take care of myself. And I don't mind the world knowing that I'm going to do that. And, um, you know, Presenting yourself with great skin, that's moisturized, hydrated, clean, like that's something everybody wants. And uh, I think more men are not ashamed to talk about that. Tell me about the soft life. Did you learn about it on TikTok? I feel like that's where I've seen it. But where did you learn about it? I've seen it online, but then we talked about it more when I just did the recent interview about it on Essence. And, you know, I was telling them, I feel like as an R&B singer who writes love songs, I've been on the soft light thing early on. (laughs) Anyway, you know, uh, men who are not afraid to be in touch with their feelings, men who are not afraid to uh, admit that they're in love, all that good stuff. You know, I've been a pioneer in the soft life. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Do you think there are cultural shifts going on with masculinity these days? Well, I think... There's a lot going on because I think there's that shift toward embracing the idea of men being vulnerable, men uh, caring for themselves, men taking care of their skin. But then there's also, I think, been a backlash to that, too, where where uh, some people are like, you know, men need to be more masculine and, and fit into more traditional roles. Uh, and some of it, you know, if you think about it, it a lot of it's um, a lot of the cultural change is also driven by economic change where. Um, you know, uh, we've become more of a service economy versus a manufacturing economy and, and jobs that traditionally men did like construction and manufacturing um, are less and less of the economy than they used to be. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of discussion about what kind of impact that's had on people with more women in the workforce and, and, and the jobs that traditionally men did. Uh, being a a smaller percentage of the workforce, like, what does that mean? And so, you know, it's above my pay grade to really know uh, how to analyze all of that. But I do think it's an interesting thing to consider and think about, you know, what the future is like for men. 
Yeah, you've said in a previous interview, we have to confront the idea of what it means to be masculine and support different expressions of masculinity. How -hmm. much does patriarchy try to pigeonhole men in terms of who it values aesthetically and socially? Well, I think there's cross currents. Like I said before, I think there's the, the current where, you know, there's more receptiveness to fluidity um, where you have, you know, some of your biggest stars like like Harry Styles, you know, dressing, you know, in really feminine ways and it being he's still one of the biggest stars in the world. And, and you know, it's not there doesn't seem to be any, you know, like social punishment for him being more fluid uh, and uh, it doesn't seem to cost him any record sales. It might actually gain him record sales. So, you know, I think there's that current where, you know, the idea that men could be more feminine or more vulnerable or more uh, fluid with their expression, uh, whether when it comes to uh, the clothing they wear or whatever they do, I think that's happening, which I think is a great thing. Um, But then I think there's always backlash to that happening at the same time. And so it's interesting to see those currents going back and forth where some people are still, you know, holding strong for the patriarchy and more traditional roles uh, for men and women and saying, we need to get back to that. So watching that happen is very interesting. But um, I think hopefully we land at a place where everyone can be themselves and express themselves freely um, without feeling like society's forcing them to be a certain way. And I think when you have such strict notions of what masculine is and what feminine is, it really only ends up limiting you and telling you what you can't do. And I would love a world where we embrace all the things that we can be and all the things that we can do and and not put these uh, kind of traditional limitations on that. Yeah, and there's so much talk right now about toxic masculinity and this backlash you've mentioned. You're also very politically active and outspoken. Do you think about what this cultural shift is doing in terms of impacting politics? Well, I think a huge strain of what's happening in politics is backlash politics, whether it's um, Ron DeSantis trying to cancel Black history from the schools and, and writing these, you know, stop woke bills where they essentially are targeting any discussion of, of, of uh, alternative gender expression, alternative sexuality, of uh, anything that would remind Americans about our uh, dark past when it comes to slavery and, and, uh, and how black and brown people have been treated in this country. There's so many forces that saw what happened in 2020, that saw all the progress that uh, the LGBTQ community has made, saw all that progress and said, uh, no, <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, those forces of backlash are very strong, they're very vocal, and they're in power in some of our biggest states. And so, like, the forces for progressive values, the forces for equality and equity uh, for justice, we have to be just as vigilant and um, and active and organized and vocal when it comes to speaking up for what we believe is right, which is a society where all of these different 
expressions of individuality, sexuality, gender are accepted and loved and and embraced, where our history is taught honestly, warts and all. Like we need to speak up for that side of the debate because the other side of the debate is definitely speaking up. Do you think when it comes to this masculinity question in general, are there inroads being made in terms of progress or where do you see it going? Are you optimistic? I am optimistic. There's a few different things I've seen. I've seen more embrace of men like getting therapy and talking about um, anxiety and depression and and, uh, trauma and our response to trauma and and uh, just being more honest about our feelings and vulnerable about pain and, and loss and, and challenges that we face. I think that's a good thing. And I've seen more and more of that just as I look at society and social media, people sharing, going to therapy more often, for instance, like that is a great thing to me. And I think it's, it's relatively new that that's being uh, talked about, particularly by men. Um, and again, with skincare and taking care of yourself and the idea of, of uh, self-care, self-love and uh, having uh, rituals um, that contribute to that, I think more men are comfortable talking about that and, and doing it. And I think that's a good thing, too. And as you mentioned earlier, you've invested in men's care before you've invested in shaving brand Bevel, how do you decide which startups to invest in? Well, I think a lot of it's about seeing a need for something. Uh, with Bevel, um, it was because you know black and brown men have a different grade of hair, um, and we have different challenges when it comes to shaving and razor bumps, etc. Tristan, uh, the founder of Bevel, saw a need to create products that spoke directly to that. And um, he created, you know, Clippers. The Black Barbershop is so iconic in our culture and in our lives. And uh, knowing that there's a real market for it and a real need for products targeted toward that market, it made me really interested in getting involved. And I loved the execution. I loved the, the branding. I loved the name. I loved just the idea behind it. And I thought Tristan, as a founder, had a good chance of creating something lasting. And so I think with everything I invest in, sometimes it's more passive. Sometimes it's me being the face of it, like with loved one. But either way, I want it to feel like there's an actual need for it. What We call it white space when we talk about it. And, you know, I guess entrepreneurs speak. But white space just means, is there a gap in the marketplace right now where people want something and there there aren't enough provide, uh, you know, companies out there providing that? And so if you see that white space and then you believe that the company can execute on delivering something that's really high quality for uh, a market that needs it and wants it, uh, then there's a good chance that it's a, a good investment. And you actually worked at Boston Consulting Group before yeah. going into music. Is there anything you've taken from that part of your life that you apply to business decisions these days? 
I feel like I'm I'm always using something from it. It's, and it's not always really super specific. It's more like just having a good bullshit detector, um, <laughs> which I feel like I developed a bit more of that when I was at BCG, understanding like where my standards should be when it comes to hiring people and 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 working with people, partnering with people. Um, it just helped me. I think raise the bar for what I expected from my team and 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 any businesses that I partner with. What's your advice to someone out there right now who has a corporate job at a consulting firm or somewhere <laughs> else and they want to make their side hustle their main gig, whether they want to do something creative or start their own brand? How do they make that happen? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, um, learn whatever you can uh, from where you are now, make all the relationships you can make. Hopefully you're in a, your day job at least is, is, uh, related to what you want to do creatively or, or, or on your own. So you can take some of what you're learning and, and then apply it to what you're wanting to do. Um, and then you got to hustle. I mean, you, the, uh, stress the hustle part of side hustle, uh, because it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of tenacity, uh, for my music career, it, it meant I worked as a consultant for three years and I still wasn't exactly ready to get a record deal. took me a couple more years after I left BCG um, before I got a record deal. But I was tenacious every time a door was closed. I didn't stop. I just kept working on my craft, trying to get better and better. And then uh, kept meeting people who could help me um, realize my vision along the way, whether it was producers, managers, just different people who could um, help elevate my music or elevate uh, my connections to people who could really uh, make it happen for me. And then eventually it did. Um, but it took longer than I thought. I got told no more often than I thought I would. And um, I wouldn't trade it, though, because every no taught me a lesson. Every iteration that I did on my music taught me a lesson. All of that just made me grow smarter and stronger. How do you balance now your business and creative endeavors? I'm still by far uh, a songwriter and a recording artist more than anything else uh, when it comes to how I um, divide my professional time. Right before we started talking, I was writing a song um, and I'll go back to writing it after I get off this call. Um, and so I'm still a songwriter first. I'm still a musician first. I'm still a performer first. Um, but I have time to do other things and I have really great people working with me, um, who can do a lot of the legwork, the research, the development, some of the creative work that I don't specialize in. Um, it's great having a great team and, uh, I lean on them a lot and uh, I'm able to focus mainly on being a performer when it comes to work. Then of course, I'm still a dad and a husband as well. What's the new song about? Can we get a hint? Well, I'm actually writing for Broadway. Um, this particular song I'm writing for the first time ever, uh, an entire musical. I'm writing the, the music for it. Amazing. Are there any more details you can share? Nope, not yet. <laughs> All right, TBD. That kind of leads me into one of my last questions. Now that you've gotten into the beauty market, 
your music fans are probably wondering now that he has this brand, what if he focuses solely on that? Is he still going to make music? So what can you tell your music fans listening right now? Oh, I can promise you I'll be making music uh, until you guys don't want to hear any music from me anymore. So <laughs> um, I, I, like I said, this is what I love to do the most is, is write songs and perform and I'm never going to stop <laughs> unless I can't do it anymore. And you don't want to hear me anymore. <laughs> I don't think that will ever happen. I think everyone's <laughs> always happy to hear more from you. So just a final question for today, looking ahead to what's in the future for the brand. I was looking at the trademark filing. It lists a fragrance, deodorant, and sunscreen as some of the other possible products. So what can we expect in the future? Are these categories coming up imminently? Do you have launches in the future? Or are you thinking of going into those? What can we see in the future from Loved One? Yeah, those will be coming. Um, we have quite a robust product launch calendar that we're um, still developing, but it's going to, I feel like this first six is pretty like a strong, like foundational uh, routine, but there'll be some aspects that will be a little more specialized, uh, some, you know, for different skin types, uh, depending on what, you know, your personal skin type will be. Uh, all of those things, there'll just be a bit more specialization and specificity as we grow. And uh, we're excited. We're going to have quite a few more products and, um, you know, continue to build and grow the brand. Well, we look forward to seeing what lies ahead in the future. John, we really appreciate you being here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. And uh, I'm excited for the world to get to know loved one. And uh, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about it. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.